Hello, welcome to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast. You are listening to the second of our Advent series, Hungry in the House of Bread, Kindness, by Rev. Peter Yonker. As we come to the second Sunday in Advent, our Bible reading this morning is from the book of Ruth, Ruth chapter 2. We did chapter 1 last week, we do chapter 2 this week, that's found on page 410 in your pew Bibles. And, and before I, I read that, let me just try to orient us, if you weren't here last week. Uh, when last we saw Ruth and Naomi, uh, they were empty. They were dealing with deep emptiness. They were trudging into Bethlehem with their heads down, and they were homeless, and they were hungry. Hungry in the house of bed. Hungry in Bethlehem, Bethlehem, and Bethlehem means house of bread. And Naomi in particular, you remember, has pretty much given up. Her emptiness is so deep that she has named herself after her trouble. She says, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara, which means bitter. I am bitterness. So we left. At the very end, there were some signs of hope, but it was those two deeply empty women. And that set up the two questions of the story of this book. And I mentioned those last week. I'll mention them again. The two questions of Ruth are, one, will Naomi's emptiness be filled? Who will fill that emptiness and how will it be done? And two, how do we live in the face of our emptiness? As God's people, when we're empty or we're walking beside someone who is empty, how do we live in the face of that emptiness? Let those two questions be in your mind as I, as I read this passage. And what I think you'll hear as I read it is, is question number one starts to be answered. Naomi is not quite as empty at the end of the passage as she is at the beginning. But I still think that question two, how do we live in the face of our emptiness, is the main focus of this passage. Last week, you'll remember, it was loving promises that sustain us in the face of emptiness, making loving, committed promises to each other based on God's loving promise to us. This week, I think you'll hear something different. Let's listen. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, let me Go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, Go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you, he said. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of, her, of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she's the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here until morning until now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. 
Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work with me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I've told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you're thirsty, go and get a drink of water from the jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. And she asked him, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of her husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. At the mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here, have some bread, dip it in the wine vinegar. And when she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her and even uh, pull some stalks from her, from the bundles, and leave them there for her to pick up, and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field all evening. Then she threshed the barley she'd gathered, and it amounted to an ephah. She carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she'd gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave to her what she had left over after she'd eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, Where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He, he has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. And she added, that man is our close relative. He's one of our guardian redeemers. Then Ruth the Moabite said, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all the grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work with him because in someone else's field, you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvests were finished and she lived with her mother-in-law. This is the word of the Lord. So something's definitely starting to happen, right? Last week, at the end of the chapter, Naomi was uh, completely hopeless, but things have started to change. At the end of the chapter last week, the, the, as far as Naomi could see, so from an earthly perspective, the only thing that was holding Naomi up against the chaos of her life, against the emptiness of her life, was that promise of Ruth, never to leave her. So you might say that, that the circle of hope in Naomi's life last week was only as big as Ruth's right hand, right? Ruth clings to her, refuses to let go. Naomi's hope was only as big as Ruth's right hand. But now, that circle of hope is growing. 
And in the middle of Naomi's chaos, in the middle of her emptiness, God has opened up another circle, and that circle is Boaz's field. Boaz's field becomes this circle of hope for both Ruth and Naomi, a garden in the middle of the world's wide wilderness. How does God widen this circle of hope for Ruth and Naomi in the middle of their wilderness? What does God use to make Boaz's field into a place of refuge for them? I would argue that in this passage, it is kindness. Simple human kindness is what God takes to make a space for those two women to exist and to learn to hope again. I would like to look at the kindness that we find in Boaz's field and see how it opens up space. And as, as I've studied and read this week, I think there are two features, two features of the kind of kindness that is shown in Boaz's field that end up opening up space for these two women. The first aspect of the kind of kindness that we see there is a kindness that practices caring attention. There's, a, and especially from Boaz, deep caring attention for the weak and those who are on the margins. And you'll notice that Ruth herself acknowledges that caring attention quality of Boaz's kindness. She falls at his feet, puts her face to the ground in verse 10, which is a, a, um, a posture of extreme thankfulness. And she says, why is it that you have shown such kindness to me? How is it that you have noticed me, a foreigner? How is it that you have given your attention and your care to someone like me? How can I possibly deserve this? She says in verse 10. How did you notice me? Ruth would have been an easy person not to notice. She's a marginal person, right? She's a Moabite, a foreigner. So that's already puts her on the margins. And then also, as she works in the fields, if you know the Old Testament law, she would have been physically on the margins. Leviticus 19, right, that was the place where you had the law for gleaning. And the law for gleaning says that you should leave, if you're a farmer, part of your field for the poor and for foreigners to come so that they could have something to eat. Now, where were you supposed to leave? You were supposed to leave the margins, the edges. So Ruth would have been a marginal person who was physically way out on the edge of the field. It would have been really easy for Boaz to pay no attention to her, to ignore her. But such is the quality of his kindness that he notices her and moves towards her. When you are in a wilderness, it is so good to have somebody notice you, to ask you how you're doing, and to check up on you. It opens up space. I went to a small elementary school, a small Christian elementary school, 120 students. I loved it. I knew everyone, and everyone knew me. It was a very safe place for me. There was no Christian high school in the town where I grew up. So I went from this small 120-people Christian school to a public high school of 1,500 people. I knew maybe 10 people at that high school, and of those 10, I knew maybe three well. And to make matters worse, I was either the smallest or the second smallest male in that entire school. I was five foot two, 90 pounds. Every night I went home and prayed for puberty. 
You think I'm making that up. So it wasn't easy, right? A small person coming into this enormous school with all these people who are bigger than me and, and, and what felt like hostile environment. It was hard. Every day I put my head down and tried not to get stepped on as I went through the halls. My French teacher that year was Madame Miolet. She was this person with a kind face and a thick French accent. She was tiny, but also very spunky and strong. She wore high heels every day, I remember this about her, and still in her high heels she was maybe 4'11". But she was well-liked and she was tough. About two months into the school year, uh, Madame Miolet at the end of my French class said to me, Peter, please stay behind, I want to ask you a few questions. And I thought, oh no, what did I do? And the rest of the class left and it was just me and her. And when I looked at her face, I realized, okay, she's not angry with me. What I saw in her face was concern. And she said to me, Peter, are you okay? I watch you and, and you look sad to me. Is something wrong? Is something going on at home? Is something out of place in your life? It was so nice to have someone ask me that question. Now, did I go tell Madame Miolet about my puberty prayers? No, I did not. I said everything was fine. That's what you do when you're in ninth grade. I said, I'm fine, I'm fine. But I'll tell you this. It was so nice to have someone notice that it wasn't so easy for me. And when she did, in the middle of that school, which felt for me like a wilderness, she opened up one small place my French classroom, where I knew someone cared about me. The first move of kindness is caring attention. It's what Boaz uses for Ruth here, and it opens up a space, a caring space, in the middle of emptiness. The second move of kindness we also see in Boaz's field is doing a little extra. Kindness, godly kindness, the kind of kindness that opens up space, does a little extra. What do I mean by that? There are two kinds of kindnesses. There is, on the one hand, expected kindness. Expected kindness is socially conditioned kindness. So, for example, when you pay a tip on your restaurant bill, you are exercising expected kindness. It's a nice thing to do. It's nice of you to tip your waiter or your waitress. Thank you for doing that. But... It's something that, that society has conditioned you to do. It's, it's kind of expected. Giving a Valentine's gift to your beloved on Valentine's Day, that is expected kindness, right? If you're in a relationship, it's expected that you're going to do something for your loved one, give them flowers or something on Valentine's Day. And expected kindness is wonderful. I don't, I don't mean to look down on expected kindness. There are lots of people in this world, if, if others would show them even expected kindness, they would be over the moon. Expected kindness keeps civility, keeps order, keeps decency. Extra kindness, if, if giving flowers to your beloved on Valentine's Day is expected kindness, extra kindness is giving flowers to your beloved on an ordinary Tuesday. You know your spouse, your wife, has had a really hard week. So you go to the store, you leave work a little early, you buy some flowers, you get home a little early before she does, you put the flowers on the kitchen table, you clean the kitchen, 
You make a nice meal, make sure that it all is ready right about the time she comes home. She can walk in, she can sit at the table, and you give her food, you talk, and afterwards you offer to clean up for her. That's extra kindness, and it's enormously powerful. Boaz's field is full of people who do extra kindness. When Ruth refuses to leave her mother-in-law and goes to a foreign country and lives in poverty so that she can be with Naomi, so Naomi has someone with her, that's not expected kindness, that's extra. When Ruth gets into the field and she gleans from morning until night and she gleans so hard that in verse 7, the other servants say, wow, that woman is working. That's not expected kindness, that's extra. When Boaz says to his workers, take a few stalks out of your sheaves and drop them in front of that woman so that she'll have a little extra for her mother-in-law, that's not expected kindness, that's extra. And when Boaz opens up his table to this Moabite girl, has her sit down, allows her to have the bread and to dip it in the wine. That's not expected kindness. That's extra. Expected kindness holds things in place. Extra kindness is generative. It turns darkness into light. It lifts up those who are bowed down. It makes crooked ways straight. It fills up emptiness. And the reason it does this is because extra kindness is God's kind of kindness. Extra kindness is the kind of kindness that we receive morning by morning from our Lord. Only when we get it from God, we don't call it kindness, we call it grace. Grace is God's extra. God does not give us what we deserve, treat us as our sins deserve. He gives us everlasting love. That's extra. God showers us every morning with more than we could ask or imagine, as Ephesians 3 says. More than we can ask or imagine, more than we can expect. That's extra. And that extra is the foundation of our lives. That extra opens up the space in which we all live and in which we all hope in the midst of this world's wilderness. It is that extra that caused God not simply to stay up in the comfort of heaven, but to send his son down to Bethlehem to be with us. Our passage has a really big hint that this extra that Ruth and Boaz do for each other is actually rooted in God's extra, and that's in verse 20. Ruth comes back after gleaning in the field. She has a really great haul. She shows it to Naomi. Naomi finds out that it's Boaz, the field, where she's got all this good food, and she exclaims, the Lord bless him. He has not stopped showing kindness to the living and the dead. That word kindness in verse 20 is a very special word. It's the word chesed. And I think that some of you know that word. That's the word used throughout Scripture for God's everlasting kindness, for God's steadfast love, for God's covenant love, that love that is at the center of his being that motivates him to keep all his promises to us. So Boaz thinks he's, he's just being nice, right? Boaz thinks he's just dropping a little extra grain in front of some hungry women. Little does he know 
that by the time this story is done, his little bit of extra is what God is using to fulfill his enormous covenant promises. Boaz does a little extra. Ruth does a little extra. I do a little extra. You guys do a little extra for people in the world, and you think it's just a little of your extra? But all of it is part of God's great extra through which he is making all things new. There's one more thing I want to point out in this passage that connects the kindness that the human beings practice to God's eternal kindness. And that has to do with the fact that Ruth is from Moab, right? Ruth is a Moabite. Why does that matter? Well, she's a foreigner, but not just any foreigner. Israel and Moab have a history, a really bad history. That is a fraught relationship. Because when Israel was traveling through the wilderness on its way to the promised land, they got to the edge of Moab, and they asked the Moabites, hey, can we go through your land? That would be a nice straight line if we could travel through your country. We promise not to eat anything. We'll go straight into the promised land. We won't touch anything. And Moab said, no, we're not letting you through. You have to go all the way around. You don't get any, any of our bread, and you don't get any of our water. And the Israelites were furious. And, and so in Deuteronomy 23, verse 3, you can look it up later, Moses tells the people, don't you ever make a, a, a treaty with, with a Moabite. Don't ever make peace with them, and don't ever give them bread and water. You can be nice to the Edomites, if you want to make a friend with an Edomite, that's fine. But don't you ever give bread and water to a Moabite. And then what does Boaz do in this passage? He invites this girl to his table and gives her bread and water. He gives his enemy precisely the food that his enemy refused him. He turns the other cheek. He gives her bread of grace, do you see how what Boaz does for Ruth at his table foreshadows what our Lord does for us at this table? We give him nothing but our rebellion and our sin, and he gives us his body and his blood. While we were still sinners, while we were enemies, Christ dies for us and feeds us and gives us his bread and so when we come to this table, this is our circle of grace. In the midst of the world's wide wilderness, here is a garden where we receive a love that will never let us go. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for, for this beautiful story and for the way that you work in regular people doing regular ordinary things to bring fullness and healing and redemption to the lives of broken people. Lord, we come to you today as broken people. As we approach your table, feed us at this table, strengthen us so that we can be practitioners of your great kindness out there in the world. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.